Welcome to the Dairy Farmers of Canada's ProAction podcast series, Paths to On-Farm Excellence, where we discuss priority topics for Canadian dairy farmers. My name's Stephen Roach. I'm the director and principal consultant for an animal health research consulting firm called Acer Consulting, which is based in Guelph, Ontario. I'm part of a team that's working with the Dairy Farmers of Canada to help showcase Canadian dairy farming stories, industry updates, and the latest science, advice, and perspectives on high-priority topics that relate to ProAction. You'll find this channel features a number of different series, from animal care to biosecurity and beyond. This podcast series features conversations with farmers, veterinarians, nutritionists, hoof trimmers, and other farm advisors, researchers, and many other industry stakeholders. Our next discussion takes place with Dr. Charlotte Winder, an assistant professor at the University of Guelph. As a veterinarian and an epidemiologist that works at the Ontario Veterinary College, I was keen to sit down with Charlotte to discuss her research on disbudding and dehorning in dairy calves. When I sat down with Dr. Winder, she explained the importance of using both short and long-term pain options, and what we know about how calves express pain. She also offers some insight into where research on this topic is headed, and how our adoption of pain control is impacting Canada's dairy reputation. So, let's jump in. Well, Charlotte, it's a pleasure to uh, to be here at the University of Guelph and get a chance to uh, to chat with you a little bit about your experience in the dairy industry today. Oh, great. No, thanks a lot for having me. So um, I think there are many people that, that have had the opportunity to hear you speak or, or to get you uh, get a sense of, of some of the work that you've done in the industry. Um, but for those of, of us listening that haven't had a chance to meet you or, or have a, a, a good idea of, of who you are, can you give us a sense of your background in the industry and, and sort of what you bring to the table in terms of the perspective today? Sure. Um, so I graduated from vet school um, at the Ontario Veterinary College in 2008, um, and then I worked in, in private practice for six years um, at the Kirkton Vet Clinic, so north of London, um, and there I did predominantly dairy practice, um, some sheep and goats and beef cattle, um, so I worked there. Uh, then I came back to OVC to do a, a graduate degree, um, and then I did a postdoctoral fellowship, and, and now I have a faculty position. Um, so what I do now is a mix of um, clinical teaching. Uh, we do have an ambulatory practice, a, a smaller one that we use for teaching. So I still do um, a bit of regular practice with some of our local clients. Um, and then I also have a, a research program and, and teach in the vet school. That's really cool. And what I like about that is, um, especially with this topic in pain management, um, it's, it's really interesting as a researcher and as a veterinarian, I think you bring a pretty unique perspective to the table. Um, and so, you know, from your standpoint, what is it about pain management, in, especially in, in the dairy world, um, or, or around even dehorning and disbudding? I know you've done lots of work in that, that you find so interesting. What's sort of the passion behind that? Well, actually, when I came back to do my graduate degree, um, I just wanted to do basically anything involved with calves because I really, as much as I love, you know, working with uh, dairy producers and kind of all aspects of their farm, um, in practice, I really enjoyed working um, through um, challenges and, and identifying opportunities in terms of um, calf health and, uh, and performance. Um, and so um, I was working with Todd Duffield on a project with disbudding. Um, and I didn't, hadn't really thought very much about disbudding, um, but in practice, it was, it was kind of interesting because in, in, uh, in practice, the, uh, some of the herds that I took over for when I, when I first started, um, 
a couple of the vets there, um, maybe some older veterinarians, um, weren't actually using any pain mitigation uh, when they were disbutting calves. Um, I mean, that being said, everybody there is using pain control and was using pain control when I started, but mm-hmm. a couple that retired uh, had not been, which was pretty common um, for, for kind of that age of a vet. Um, and I didn't really know how to have a conversation with those producers about um, how to use local anesthetic. Um, so uh, rightly or wrongly, I just started using it on their calves. And the thing that really impressed me was, you know, despite my poor communication strategy, <laughs> they all thought it was fine. Um, and it, it really impressed me that I think, you know, in that case, I think as a vet, I was probably holding them back. Um, I didn't really give them the opportunity to um, to think about, you know, if we could do things better. They just saw, you know, the vet dehorning in a certain way. And, and that seems fine because, I mean, we're supposed to be the experts in this. Um, that said, so I always used local anesthetic. I never had any issue um, with it. And, and for sure, those farms that hadn't seen it done before. And then when I started doing it, um, they commented on, you know, wow, like the calves don't struggle at all. It's, it's really good. Um, but yeah, that being said, then I came back to school and, and learned how important um, using an NSAID is. And, and certainly when I was in practice, I didn't uh, I didn't do that, even though that's very easy. Um, but yeah, after reading paper upon paper about how that's important uh, was really interesting. So yeah, I guess, you know, I think this is an area where um, it's fairly easy to um, to do things in that improve the welfare for calves, um, and I think so much of it comes back to you know how we communicate as advisors to our, our clients and how we can kind of create you know even behavior change in ourselves to um, change our practices and and kind of continue evolving. Mm-hmm. And I like that story because it really highlights how our industry has evolved in a fairly short amount of time. I mean, it's not that long ago that pain management really wasn't part of this conversation or this practice. And, you know, here we are today with a, you know, in this case, proaction that's, you know, mandating some of these things, but it's coming there because we know that, you know, moving forward, this is sort of the right thing to do. And it does make the procedure easier on everyone. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really impressive how things have, have changed. Yeah. Even in a really short time. Mm Mm-hmm. So for some people, well, I mean, pain, you know, we experience pain, of course. So it's, you know, we've got a sense for, for at least some of the things that go are associated with a painful practice or an injury, for example. But um, when it comes to our animals who can't, you know, communicate with us the same way, for many people, pain is sort of subjective. It's difficult to totally understand what's going on. Is that animal painful? You know, you know, we look at lameness in, in animals, you know, is she painful? Is she changing her gait because she's actually in pain or is something else going Going on, and so I guess from your your perspective, you know, what should producers be looking for when we're thinking about signs of pain in our animals, whether they're cows or calves? Oh yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, so in um, from what I know about and very little about human uh, research, but in in human research, um, pain uh, the gold standard for pain is self-reporting, um, and obviously we don't have that mm-hmm. in animals. Um, and, and it's interesting because, yeah, even in, in human health, they use self-reporting even for um, people with um, different cognitive abilities um, and, and even very young children. That's um, really the gold standard. Uh, and so it makes it really difficult in animals because we essentially, I mean, as much as there are some um, more sophisticated kind of behavioral tests we can do um, to ask animals, you know, what situations they prefer um, or potentially how aversive something is, we really just can't ask them how they're feeling. Um, and so we need to use a, a host of kind of different indicators. Um, 
And it's interesting too, I think, because I think coming back to the disbudding, um, I think that's where, you know, something like a local anesthetic, it's it's so obvious when you use, say, a cautery iron, um, you know, you put a cautery iron on that animal's head without any local anesthetic and they have a reaction that probably... I would assume you or I would too, mm-hmm. um, that it's it's intensely painful and they have a, a ton of avoidance reactions immediately. Um, but then when you block it, they just stand there like nothing's happening. Um, so yeah, we can certainly use behavioral indicators. Um, but I think too, and when you think about kind of like appreciating pain in another person, like if, yeah, if, if I saw you suddenly burn yourself, I bet I could recognize that that was acutely painful. Right. But if you had a throbbing toothache, um, I don't know if I'd be able to, to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think things like inflammatory pain are a little more difficult. So we can use things like behavioral indicators. Um, and again, sometimes they're very dramatic and basically anybody could could tell even if they weren't trying to look for it sure um but in other cases you know we need to you know observe them for long periods of time and watch you know how many times do they shake their head or or stamp their feet um but uh there have been different pain behaviors that have been validated um the other thing too with pain is to look at a bunch of different indicators and kind of um look at them together uh so we're not just looking for kind of like any random change in a variable Mm -hmm. um we're looking for like a consistent pattern that tells us um you know that that animal is probably experiencing pain and distress Mm -hmm. so other indicators um and and they all kind of have their pluses and minuses but again if we use them together i think that's where they're powerful um but things like cortisol uh in terms of very acute stress so in the first um, number of hours after procedure that's an indicator of stress um things like heart rate um, respiratory rate um uh, changes in kind of natural behaviors like um, drinking, eating, um, standing and laying. Um, so we can look at kind of all of those as a host. Um, we can also do some some more sophisticated behavioral testing where we can um, ask animals what situation they may prefer. Um, there have been some really interesting studies looking at um, cognitive bias. So mm-hmm. um asking uh basically assessing kind of mood of the animal are they more optimistic or pessimistic um and again i think even with these tests any one of these you know it's it's more powerful when we do multiple different um kind of angles at it and then if we get the same consistent message then i think we know you know this is likely a very aversive situation yeah no, I like that. I mean, it, it, again, it's, it speaks to how difficult it can be to really understand some of these things, depending on what, where the pain's occurring and, and uh, what's causing it, that kind of stuff. So you talk to, I mean, obviously, if an animal or we, for that matter, are experiencing pain, there's a welfare component. You know, we're not essentially, quote unquote, well, you know, um, our, our life is compromised in some way. Do we know much about how pain links up with health links up with you know the dairy farmer listening will say well how does it relate to production or if it's a calf how does it relate to their ability to become a productive member of the herd do we know much about those linkages at this point charlotte uh so that's a good question so um i think when we kind of look at kind of our history of of research in dehorning um and as much as uh you know there's been a lot of changes in the last few years um even before that there were some pretty major changes um that i think kind of speak to that so if we think about um and especially maybe on the on the beef side or um historically in the dairy side um you know taking horns off of say yearling animals or maybe dehorning on arrival to a feedlot Mm -hmm. um there's certainly a a host of um kind of older literature that shows that um when we do those things without pain control there's there's huge economic consequences so it's a very big 
that back um, in terms of, of um, how much they eat, um, how much they're willing to you know get up and eat and drink, and um, how well they perform. So we definitely know that doing things like disbudding compared to dehorning, um, that in itself has a, a big economic um, benefit um, because it's it's less stressful on the animal than you know amputating a, a horn. Um, now that we're looking at um, kind of techniques around disbudding, um, again, not all studies um, evaluate the same outcomes, and that can be kind of challenging when we're kind of trying to understand what the overall story is on that. So I think um, overall the impacts of, of pain control on performance in young calves, um, it's probably not consistently shown in the literature um, that there are performance benefits, although some studies have shown that. Um, again, I think maybe to answer that fully, we need a lot more work um, and more kind of consistent work. But I think one thing it might speak to um, is that it may depend. And I think it might depend on um, on the situation on that farm, you know, depending on um, what kind of challenges those calves are facing, um, you know, is there sort of like disease pressure at a certain age? Um, in that case, maybe the added stress of dehorning without pain control could potentially tip them one way or the other. Um, so while we definitely know that there's um, substantial welfare benefits for, for giving them pain control, like we are pretty confident in that, um, on the health side, I think it may be more variable. It might depend on farm factors. Um, that being said, um, if we're talking about uh, economics, um, I think it's important too if we, we kind of need to also think about economics, not just for an individual animal, but, but also for an industry level. So I think if we're just talking economics, um, the sustainability piece is, is really crucial. Um, and if we think about kind of the impact of saying on Canadian dairy farms, all calves receive appropriate pain control for disbudding. Like that is, that has a huge economic benefit to us. And I think that is probably, I don't know, in my guess, um, many magnitudes of times greater than a potential benefit to an individual calf just on an economic level. Mm -hmm. If we look at, you know, their first lactation milk production. On an individual calf level, though, um, it certainly makes a world of difference from a welfare standpoint. Yep. Yeah. Which is just as important. I mean, we're learning, you know, all the time, the, you know, welfare, health and welfare. I mean, I, I say them separately, but they really are the same thing in terms of we, we want this. Our definition of health is not just, you know, are they sick anymore? There's a pain component to that. And, and we knew, we've always appreciated that with our own kids or ourselves. And we need to sort of think a little bit further about that from an animal's perspective, I think. Yeah, no, that's a good good point for sure. So you've talked a little bit about some of the research that's been done. And, and of course, you've, you know, since you've been um, a student and, and now a faculty member at the University of Guelph, have been a big contributor to, to some of that body of, of knowledge and, and continue to do so moving forward. So can you tell us, uh, you know, I, I know we could probably talk about this all day, but, you know, for from your standpoint, what are some of the key research questions you have or, or where are you headed when it comes to research on, on pain control? Um, yeah, so what we're doing currently, so I have a, a PhD student, um, Cassandra Reedman, who's been doing um, quite a bit of work in the area of disbudding and pain control. Um, so one of her first studies that's actually completed and, and should be published soon um, was looking at uh, pain control strategies for caustic paste, um, because that's an area where, um, we're, and actually even in the last year, we have um, a couple more papers, and I think we mm. have a little more um, consistency among what we're finding. Um, and also, especially in the in the U.S., this is becoming um, a, quite a common way to disbud calves. Um, I think in Canada, it's still maybe 10 or 15 percent of farmers, whereas um, 
recently uh, there was a study done in Wisconsin um, that showed I think it was around 50% are, really? are using caustic paste. Yeah, so it's becoming quite common. Okay. Um, and, and so that was one question we were, we were asking. Um, another study she's doing is looking at the impact of sedation. Uh, because sedation is an interesting thing. It's um, often, if we look at different industry groups or veterinary groups, it's often listed as a recommended best practice. Um, but there's really very little literature on if it's beneficial to the calf. Um, and so we're, we're interested in exploring that. And uh, that study just wrapped up um, a few months ago. And then uh, the other trial that she's about halfway through right now um, is looking at the impact of um, how we feed calves on how their experience of pain is. So um, we're looking at uh, kind of a more um, traditional um, plane of, of nutrition mm -hmm. um, and then something that's a little more elevated, like more what, um, and again, this is another area where we've seen you know huge changes on dairy farms in the last 10 years um, and so we're looking at uh, a more elevated plane of nutrition which is increasingly common on farms um, and seeing if if calves um, benefit from that in in respect to how they uh, appreciate pain after the procedure um, as well as uh, how their wounds heal mm -hmm. that's very cool are you able to share any of the i know they're certainly in the process of getting some of that information out but are you able to share any of those results in terms of what we know a little bit about sedation or caustic paste or that plane of nutrition oh for sure so with our with the caustic paste study that um that cassie did uh so there was some caustic paste work before and as part of my graduate work i, I did a caustic paste trial too um and so uh, it's generally in the literature that shows that there's a benefit of giving a local anesthetic um, and an NSAID for caustic paste. Um, benefits in terms of, of cortisol, pain behaviors, heart rate, um, self-rewarding behaviors as well, um, such as play. Um, but a lot of times these trials are done in calves that are um, kind of a range of ages. And some of that is just logistics with how research facilities are and how many calves we have. Um, but increasingly, caustic paste is used um, on calves that are less than a week of age. Um, and a lot of farms are doing it at birth. Um, and so often um, pushback with that is, well, you know, that might be true for older calves, but what about really young calves? Are there differences um, with how those calves experience the procedure? Um, and so the trial that Cassie did was in calves um, between zero and five days of age. Um, and so there we were trying to see, um, do these uh, practices benefit those calves? Um, and is there an impact of age? So because we had a varied, varied age range, we could, we could look at, you know, our calves that are one day different than five days. Um, and, and interestingly, what we found there is um, we looked at local anesthetic and NSAID alone, um, and then a mixture of both. And then we had two control groups, so calves that didn't get disbudded and then calves that got no pain control. Um, and so it was very interesting because uh, her results there show that it was very consistent with all the previous literature in cautery, um, that if we give a local anesthetic, they get relief for the first couple hours, and essentially they're no different than a calf that didn't get disbudded. Okay. Um, but if we don't give pain control in those first few hours, they have, um, you know, very high indicators of distress. Um, although it is a little more subtle than than cautery, which is which is interesting too, because um, it may not be as uh, clear to appreciate for for uh, someone um, putting the paste on. Um, but we also found that if you give a, an NSAID alone, we don't do anything for the initial pain. But um, an NSAID alone was a little bit better than nothing. Mm -hmm. um, but they did have a, a you know huge indicators of pain in the first few hours. Um, but if we gave both, um, both was really the most effective strategy. And they essentially, there are a couple of, you know, tiny differences at different time points. But really, the overall message was they are no different in, in that first, um, we measured them for, for six hours and then looked at indicators in the days following. Mm -hmm. um, really no different than calves that um, weren't disbutted at all. So it was a quite an effective strategy. No kidding. That's interesting. Um, 
and yeah, our other work uh, is kind of under analysis right now. So I hope hopefully we can share that in the next uh, few months and uh, our, our nutrition trial might take another six months to complete. So that one's in the pipes. So stay tuned. Mm-hmm. So are there other important differences when we look at our, our understanding of pain in, in calves versus cows or really young calves versus older calves that, that producers should be aware of? Yeah, so that's a, a good question. So um, in, in our work for that particular trial, we didn't see an age difference. Um, but and this is more anecdotal, because again, we don't have, um, you know, tons of work in this area. And there've, um, there was also another trial published this past year in three day old calves. Um, and there they were looking at the impact of just an NSAID given alone and found mm-hmm. that that was not an effective strategy. Um, but interestingly, uh, their study and our study um, did show there are little there are some um, potential differences in in young calves. We didn't see a difference in the age range that we had. Um, but comparing our studies to studies done in older calves, um, it looks like there are some differences in behavioral indicators. Uh, they may not react to behavioral tests the same way. Um, so things like pressure sensitivity, they appear to not um, have the same kind of aversion reactions. Um, and again, comparing one study to another, there are some issues with that. But overall, potentially, there's some differences in the type of pain behaviors they express. They're a little more subtle. Um, and one thing anecdotally we see, which I think you know kind of inherently makes sense, is, is older calves are much more coordinated. Mm-hmm. Um, they can you know get their hind foot up and and scratch their horn bud and um, show signs that indicate that this particular location is um, at least irritating. Um, But in young calves, they're much more kind of generalized. We don't see that same uh, type of um, scratching behavior, more head shaking, ear flicking. Um, And interestingly, again, we didn't, you know, power our study to detect a substantial difference in this. Um, But you can see calves where they are kind of using their hind foot to scratch, but they're not getting it near their their head. Um, And so uh, this kind of goes back to like the challenges of of pain research in animals. Um, And that's you've got the actual experience that the that the calf has, you know, are they painful or not how painful are they and then you have the behaviors that are a result of that so sometimes we're wondering you know if behaviors are different is that because the calf is experiencing something differently or is it because the outward reaction is different based on their age Mm -hmm. so um, one thing we wonder especially with calves on the first uh, day of birth or or the first few days um, is certainly we know that these calves exhibit hiding behavior that's a normal behavior especially if we look at at beef calves Um, and that behavior um, you know only exists for a a short window of time after which you know then they're going to have a flight reaction Um, and so I think you know and again this is more kind of just um, speculating, but I think it's possible for sure that that the way that calves react to something that's aversive when they're very young might be a little different, um, even though their experience might not be any different. They still might be experiencing that same stress, but their um, behavior, you know, it doesn't match up to an older animal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, it's interesting too to think about. I guess I would I would expect that there's you know more and more work that's done on um, on humans in terms of you know, procedures that are done on very you know infants essentially and try and give us a bit of a sense for that. But it's interesting that we still really need to grow our understanding when it comes to dairy. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that that is very interesting, and I think and again, um, different neonates of different species of course, um, yeah. are, are are differently developed at birth, um, but certainly the kind of less developed neonates at birth, which I think humans are probably a little less developed than calves at birth. Um, but yeah, they, they do experience pain as uh, the noxious stimuli isn't as localized. So it's right. more a general um, aversion as opposed to a specific, like my horn butt hurts. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's, I mean, I think they're, 
you know, that's something that we don't know. Um, but I think it's definitely possible that that it's um, it's aversive, but it is uh, aversive in a different way. Mm-hmm. So so speaking of things that we don't know or or uh, and with a mind towards the future, wh- where do you think we're going? And, and maybe I'll add one other question in there is how do you think we're doing today in, in terms of an industry? So I think our, our industry should be really proud of the um, progress that's been made in terms of pain control. It's it's um, really incredible how um, much change there's been. Um, one of the first things um, I looked at as a graduate student, and this was in uh, 2014, so before the animal care component of ProAction came out, um, we looked at um, current disbudding and dehorning practices on farms and compared it to a survey done, similar survey done in 2004. Um, and it was really dramatic, the, the changes that had occurred. Um, and this is prior to having, you know, requirements um, set on on um, on farmers, you know, even even by industry organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think since 2014, because that's now six years ago, seems like not that long ago. Um, you know, there's there's been um, quite a bit of change. Um, and I think if we look at um, in the United States, um, their large quality assurance program farm um, has just very recently changed to include some requirements around pain control. Um, and I think based on the data, um, if we look at kind of the adoption rates there, they kind of look similar to maybe where we were in 2004. So I right? think, yeah, I think overall we're, you know, it's a, I mean, we have a ways to go before we, you know, can make sure that, that we're, you know, happy with our pain control strategies on, on all dairy farms um, in Canada. But, I, you know, I think we've made huge progress and I think we're a really um, good example for, you know, other industries that are looking to, um, to, to do that, to, you know, meet the expectation that this is what, um, what happens. Oh, that's great. It's good to hear. I mean, um, there's so many areas, you know, we're, we're asking producers to make changes on the farm and, uh, and, I think there can be, you know, and sometimes rightly so, some frustration with that. But it's good to see that, you know, in many cases, we can be proud of the fact that we're leading the way. Yeah, yeah. No, that's really, really excellent. So um, I guess thinking thinking as we wrap up here, Charlotte, um, for producers that are listening, is there one sort of key takeaway or piece of advice you might like to offer when it comes to how they look at painful practices or maybe if they're considering changes, how they might go about getting more information or or talking uh, to different people about, about what they should do and how they should go about it? Yeah, so I think, um, like in general with painful practices, I think, you know, there are some things, you know, currently that we we can't avoid, right? Like, um, you know, maybe eventually we'll have, um, like certainly polled genetics is something that's um, increasing in in prevalence and there's more and more um, polled sires available. Uh, If we look at like, you know, how the beef industry has moved um, in that respect, I think think eventually, um, you know, that might eliminate the need to to have to worry about pain control, Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, that in my mind at least is a pretty easy fix, um, but it's gonna take us a while to get there genetically. Um, so for something like that, um, certainly discussing with your vet, um, there's there's lots of um, resources potentially um, that you can use to train um, to have to help uh, training. Your your vet can certainly provide training to you um, or potentially provide options. Lots of veterinary clinics um, have uh, registered veterinary technicians who um, perform not just disbudding but can potentially help with other um, you know calf management and and health programs. So um, in some cases especially when, you know, labor is not something that's in, in huge uh, supply on farms. Things are always stretched. Um, you know, certainly that might be something that'll work for some farms. Um, in other cases, providing your veterinarian, providing training and um, how to administer pain control appropriately, um, that can be helpful too. 
Um, and again, I think, uh, at least I know for me, um, it's, you know, easy to say, hard to, to do sometimes, even when, if we look at, say, what I was doing, you know, all I needed to do was just do an end set as well. And I just never, I never even thought about it. Um, but it's something that, that it was easy enough to do once I kind of made the conscious decision, like, okay, I need to start doing this. Um, and so I think, you know, for, for veterinarians, um, and, and also for producers, you know, if this is something that you're talking about with, with friends, um, or colleagues or or vets speaking with their clients, um, it's certainly something that I think we should maybe bring up. Um, because I think sometimes, and at least, I don't know, for me, this is the case where I was, you know, kind of, I didn't want to offend anybody and I know, you know, maybe making preconceptions about why someone isn't using pain control currently. Um, and I think in a lot of cases it might just be that, you know, they have, 20 million other things to think about mm-hmm. this just wasn't something that they thought about and and really all that needs to happen is it's just a conversation um figure out a way that makes it easy for for the um for the farm to implement it you know it, it's it can be something that's um you know easily changed and and then and then that's just done well, that's awesome well I, with that that might be a good place to wrap up um charlotte thanks so much for your time and for your insight into this it's really exciting to hear that someone as passionate as you are, are you know working on an area that i think is really needed and and again you know really excited to hear that the the industry has made such forward progress on this issue yeah no thanks so much it's been really great to to chat about this and um yeah i really enjoy working in this area i think um you know as a vet and a researcher i really see myself um just hopefully being able to provide some support to uh to the industry because yeah i think people um you know not just in this area but if we look at like you know all kinds of other areas on farms like say even antimicrobial use you know um producers are really leading the way um there's lots of really progressive things happening and people are really thinking outside the box and to be able to provide support for that i really um appreciate being being part of the picture thanks for listening to the dairy farmers of canada's pro action podcast series The focus of this project is to try and help Canadian dairy producers make informed decisions about animal care on their farms and support them in striving for continuous improvement. For more information, please visit the Dairy Farmer of Canada website, dairyfarmers.ca, and don't forget to like and subscribe for more content. This podcast was narrated, edited, and produced by me, Stephen Roach. Thank you to our guests and to you for listening. The project is hosted by the Dairy Farmers of Canada and partly funded by the Canadian Agricultural Partnership, a five-year federal, provincial, territorial initiative. Thanks for listening.